I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. It's presented by Zwift. Got some interesting updates from us personally related to Zwift in a second. It's the Pyrenees Terreno Adriatico recap doubleheader. You might look at the results of these two stages and be like, ah, boring nah there's some funny things and some weird things that happened during both of those races i guess that's why people listen to the recaps because we watch every race in full but before we get into the paranese recap mention our show partners with tour of utopia is on at the moment and i guess my journey to being the only man to defeat pog it gets close i checked today i'm down i think two and a half kilos since the swift deal started uh, and since we, yeah, we've been just flying on Swift, so that's ahead of my schedule. Uh, Pagach is scared, I guess. Is Kung scared of you, Benji? I'm not so certain that Kung is already scared of me, but that's something for 2037 for me. But it's going steady. Uh, last year I had the goal of like putting in 2020 uh, to like 15 to 20 kgs off, so that's a lot. And I'm about 25% in, and we're two and a half months into the season so i can't complain i'm enjoying it and uh, i hope that it continues going and i'm really enjoying it's like swift is the kind of thing that you can do while doing other things and that's what makes it so great for me well for us we have to sit and watch four hours of cycling in a row half the time when stuff i don't know how netflix (laughs) is going to make the race all these races seem exciting but paranese 215 kilometers long it had the main last climb, the Col de l'Espuglier, 11K is 4.5%, steeper at the base, shallower at the end, and then a 1,200-meter, 6.5% kicker, 7, eh, 8Ks cresting from the finish, finishing at Orbania. We have Wout here, Mads Pedersen, Philipson went home, Jakobsen DNF during the stage, so more people leaving. It was really Pedersen, Germay, Wout from the finish, or maybe the breakaway, but... Trek worked all day, Benji. I think quite rightly. Pedersen's the fastest man left with Jakobsen gone. Yeah, honestly, that's true. And I was somewhat scared that perhaps on that Espuigulier, whatever that climb was that I just mispronounced, that I don't have open so I can't pronounce it properly. Well, on that climb, I was a bit scared that it would be too hard for some people, but Mas Pedersen should get over that relatively well if his team is riding a steady pace and therefore not really allowing those picky attacks ongoing. For example, if Martin goes and then another rider goes and so forth, that's when a rider like Peterson could get in trouble. But if you keep pacing, that likely won't happen. Now, the gap didn't really extend too much on the stage. And it really was, like you said, on that Les Pigouliers, now I pronounce it correctly, climb that it really started becoming a race to watch. And we saw that the peloton was thinning out as Julien Bernard was doing most of the work for Trek Segafredo on that climb. And there were no real moves except for Matthew Holmes, who attacked to try and gain some KOM points. But Madua had been in the break all day, so was securing all the points before that. So it wasn't that effective on Holmes' part. 
And towards the top, we noticed that his ball was almost dropping from the group in that peloton group. And I was like, okay, come on, Kiss ball. This is your one day in the season. You're going to make it over the top. You're going to pull out your one per year, perfect sprint at the end of the day. And he held on towards the top. And then towards the front, Søren Kroh Andersen started attacking, split up the peloton and ball was dropped. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I don't know. Like, SKA was strong, don't get me wrong. He looks back yeah. in his stage 14 Leon finish where he was crazy strong, 2020. Uh, he finished ahead of Mezgetz in a solo move and he won another stage, did he, before then? Can't remember. He's looking yeah. good. But it crested 16 Ks from the finish. And... He kind of sold Bowl. Well, no, he definitely sold Bowl and Lechnesund. Yeah. Maybe it's a earpiece out moment. I joked the other day we hadn't checked PCS when Benji was like, why is he meme attacking? I was like, contract? And he's out of contract this year. So, like, do you think that's playing into it, Benji? If you were a rider and last year of your deal at DSM, surely you're riding for yourself right now. Yeah, quite certainly. While he still... He still did have Degenkolb in that group as True. a potential sprinter, but I would dare to say that on a flat finish, that bull is a fast man. But after those hills, Degenkolb could be a pretty fast man as well, even though he's more towards his end of his career. But I agree with you that that can play a big role in the motivations of riders and what they do in races. But I'd argue it's much more effective to do one thing on the final hill that works out than attack with 30k to go on a moment that it's very unlikely that it's going to be effective, like the two last attacks he did in Paris this year. And uh, we might be able to find out in this race because at that point, we had Søren Kralnesen getting caught again. And who was taking control there? Were there attacks or was there a team that was trying to control things? Trek had Kirsch pacing a lot, but then they spent a lot Trek chasing Søren Kralnesen back and pacing all day. Jumbo weren't the major team controlling. And... It split apart on this 1,200-metre, 6.5% climb up to an intermediate sprint point. The race just exploded. I saw Trek nowhere. And just like on stage one, in the matter of a minute up this climb, the group's like 10 riders with Roglic, Wout van Aert, Laporte, and it was, I think, Bergado. Who was the, one, who was the first rider to attack but Laporte Mark Benji? Honestly, no clue. I think Guillaume Martin was part of that move as well, yes. but there was indeed one rider that was ahead where Martin Laporte answered to, and that one rider was then gone. But I don't know who it was. I'm sorry, person, if you're watching. We forgot about you. Was it Bergado? I'm pretty sure it was Bergado. Total oh. Energy set him up, and they got to the crest of the intermediate sprint. You looked at the helicopter shot, group of 10 riders, Bergado's a little bit ahead. I'm like, wow, send it. Like, Laporte's already... Laporte marked but didn't pull he was refusing to to work with riders uh which was i think at that point i was surprised and it seemed that yumbo really wanted to ride for a van art sprint but that meant that pedersen came back i was surprised by that because pedersen's faster than wow right now it's we saw that quite clearly on the other uphill drag and yeah maybe Maybe it's unrealistic. It's not a video game to be like, wow, just bridge to Burgado and then ride 8Ks off. But Trek were in shambles and no one really took control. And I think, yeah, I still think, by the way, Burgado, he looks like um, Alaphilippe's cousin. He's like the, the meme we have Alaphilippe. It's like 
at home and it's like Alaphilippe at home is burgered. Walmart Alaphilippe. <laughs> well, maybe Alaphilippe is Walmart Alaphilippe compared to Burgado. You look at Toronto yeah. today. Um, but he was gone. 12 seconds, 15, 18. Trek are trying to come back. They run out of domestiques. No one's really controlling. Eventually, when it's at 20 seconds with 4Ks to go, Yumbo put Laporte on the front. He, he gets a gap. This is why everyone's fucked. Everyone's so tired. Gaps open up, and he's just got Mozzato on his wheel. I know you have a strong view on this. Mozzato should have pulled, right? Yeah, Mozzato should have pulled, and Laporte also should have, in my opinion, continued pulling as well, even if Mozzato stayed on for a bit. Because the second he gets to Burgador, well, then Burgador is done for when it comes to going to continue pacing, and then Mozzato won't pace in your wheel as well. So you're neutralizing that group in front from the inside and giving a chance for Wout Fenard in a sprint and behind, you know? Yeah, I think... I just think there was like a point with 1,200 meters to go, helicopter shot, Burgado was so close to the peloton and then they yeah. sort of let it go again again, and then Trek came through to the lead out. 200 meters to go, he was in front, no one had taken control. Sturvin doing the lead out for Pedersen. We got the front angle shot. We don't know where the finish line is. And Bergado, who was strong at Bessege, by the way, and he's gotten stronger as the goatee's grown out, takes his first ever professional victory at 23 years old for Total Energy. He came – this is – it's a surprise, of course, but the fact that he is strong – is not a surprise. Uh, Atlas no. Pedal Deuce, who's a French guy, does scouting reports on Twitter on some of the sort of lesser-known riders, like Bergado did one ages ago because he came third at Coppa Sabatini, third at Boucle de Lune last year, and he seems to have progressed 10th at Drome, hard race this year, and 13th at Fournard Desch before Paris-Nice. And as I said, fifth and fourth in the hard finishes at Bessege, not a man to be disrespected. And I think Benji, they thought he'd just come up and it was a meme attack. When is a meme attack not a meme attack? I guess when they win. Well, I'd argue that a meme attack depends on the timing at which you attack. And I don't have an issue with a rider like Burgodo trying something on the final hill of the day, knowing that the last part is half descent, half flat. And we know that if you look at the profile, although the last kilometer did look a bit more downhill in real life than it did on the profile, but it still looked quite downhilly though those last like 10ish kilometers after that climb they just did where Burgado made his move. I don't think that's a meme attack. He has nothing to defend. He might as well ju- just go YOLO and try something because it's not like he's got a, a sprinter behind that can do something here. For example, when Latour went last year on that second last call in the Tour de France, that's when you know it's a meme attack because what is he going to do? Is he going to attack on the second last call, gain 20 seconds, go to the bottom of the last call, have 20 seconds and get... God and dropped. Yeah, that that's a meme attack. Yeah, or Martin yesterday when the break is already gone. Like it's it's pointless. Uh, but yeah, incredible win for him. Total energy will be very happy with that. I think that's their. Did they win a world tour race last year? I'd been very surprised. Nope, they didn't win a dot pro race last year. They only won three races in Europe one of which was 1-1 and 2-1. 2020, they won Paris stage with Bonifacio, but that was very heavily reduced by COVID, that field. No World Tour in 2019. So this is a big win. It's a big deal. And 
I think they're going to be yeah very happy with that. What about Trek Benji? Did they just like like what else could they have done? I guess they just ran out of men and Yumbo weren't willing to help them. Yeah, I think they ran out of men. As simple as that. Now they did have Steven for the final sprint, right? For the preparation of the final sprint. What if True. they what if they give up the lead out and therefore potentially like a chance of winning, but at least have a chance of trying? Yeah, like Quickstep at Kerner, Quickstep were like, if we don't catch Laporte, it doesn't matter how good our lead out is. Yeah. Fabio's not winning. Fabio will have to freelance himself if we catch Laporte. Uh, so I, I think you make a good point there that conservation of lead out is is pointless if yeah, if you don't catch the breakaway. But big win from him tomorrow in Paris-Nice is Torini. It's the big mountaintop finish. I haven't heard any if anything official about the climb being cancelled. Apparently there's bad weather and cold. It's cold here in the Pyrenees at the moment, but this is in the Alps, I think, French Alps. Um, but, yeah, uh, apparently there's snowfall, cold conditions, but it's a mountaintop finish. So hopefully it goes ahead. No descent. 156Ks. They do a warm-up climb. 8K is 5%, but it's pretty easy running. It's a watts per kilo test. Perfect for Roglic. 15Ks, 7.2%, very steady, a little bit a little bit steeper in the last 4Ks, about 8% average. And um, Quintana and Yates, they got to do something if they want to dislodge Roglic or if Quintana wants to even come top three. So I think RK ascended again, Benji. Yeah, the thing with Quintana is that he doesn't necessarily have the incentive to go from the bottom, as in, like, Quintana wants to move up positions and is still fine with a third or fourth position for UCI points. Adam Yates, I doubt he cares too much if he's second or fifth, right? Or, well, actually, Bike Exchange wants some points as well these days. So, I don't know. They might both have incentives to wait a bit longer to make sure they've got their top five position and don't implode towards the end. But I'd argue if, if Yates is 40 seconds behind NGC now, he should try early. He's still within a reach, and we haven't seen Roglic on a final climb in a stage this entire year like a proper climb, like called the Tudini. So it's a way to test him. And if you don't test him, you will never know if you could have beaten him. Yeah, I agree. You have to try. And I think if Roglic bridges to Yates and Quintana and they've dropped Latour, it depends how close it is to the finish. Uh, like just to rehash the GC positions, Yates is on 39, Latour is on 41, Danny Felipe Martinez 56, Vlasov 59, Adam Yates 111, Quintana's back on 145. I think if Quintana goes early, he has to work with Roglic. He's not going to make a minute 45. It's just not possible unless Roglic completely implodes on Torini. So he should ride for the podium and really try and put as much time as possible into Latour and the other guys, which even that will be difficult. Um, Otherwise, I'm trying to look for... I don't see breakaway. I don't. Uh, and every good climber that's not a GC guy is just about gone home. Um, what about Ineos, Benji? I think they'll try. I think Yates and Danny Martinez will go one too. Yeah, I think they're roll attacks on the others. They've got the riders to do so. They've got two GC riders to try that. But on the other hand, I, I've i got the feeling that... Uh, do I trust both of them here? Because we've seen like... One and the other roll attacks so far in this race. So I don't know if, if I can confirm whether those two are actually on the level of Roglic at the moment. Yates was great at UAE Tour, but Paranese is a different style of race. 
it's colder, different weather. I don't know if that affects Adam Yates on this finish line. I guess that's something we'll see. I'm mainly looking at Quintana for this, and it's personally out of a, a hopeful thought process and not necessarily a factual one, I think. He's had a great February, but it's now March, so it doesn't mean too much. But uh, I hope that Quintana can do something here, can put pressure on the others and open up this climb early because Arqueado doesn't have the men to open it up later. If they wait until later, I don't think they'll have the men to have like a train formation and then open it up. So the earlier the better, I guess. Well, yeah, like on Montaigne de Lua, they couldn't pace early. They had to wait on Bruno Armirel pacing for Michael Storer. And then yeah. they did a very short pull with Bue and Ede. If I'm Roglic, I want this stage. I want to take as much time as possible. Stage eight is very difficult. It might be raining 115 kilometers long. It's a notoriously difficult stage eight in Paris-Nice. He lost on the race here last year. Uh, did Yates lose it to Soler back in the day as well on this stage, even though it might have been a different profile? I think he's got to go killer instinct and take as much time as possible. That's what we learned from last year with the Maida thing on uh, La Colmienne. Every second counts. So, yeah, hopefully he goes for the stage and we have a show. But that was Paris-Nice. Big weekend coming up, usually the best couple of stages. The last two and the crosswind ones. Time for Terreno Adriatico, stage five from Sefro to Fermo. It's another hilly circuit, but this time more suited to a breakaway. It really reminded me this parkour of a bit of a lighter version of the Slovenia stage in the Giro last year and the stage that Campanales won ahead of Riesebeck. But this finishes uphill to Fermo. Some nasty short climbs near the finish. 2.2Ks, 8.5%. The, the Fermo Madonna Dete and 3.2Ks, 6% to finish. But they're all up and down, steep, nasty pinches in them, bad road surfaces, technical descents. And Pegash is still in the ascendancy. But a good break went, Benji, with uh, Benjamin Thomas. Yeah, Benjamin Thomas was in that breakaway. Rather, it has been performing quite well for the entirety of the race uh, season so far. And it actually didn't start that easily, that breakaway. We had so many attacks on that first climb from Marc Soler already at the start of the race. Arensman, Narvaez, we had the likes of... Uh, Pino attacking, Tejada, Sepp Cousin the attack, Aramburu as well. But in the end, like you said, not exactly those riders in that breakaway. It was the group that included Benjamin Thomas, Sandro Murice, also the likes of Bargill was in that group, a few Aeolo riders, some other riders in there as well. And uh, I don't have the list here, but you have to believe Simone me. Those were the Velasco. Yeah, Velasco, Nelson Oliveira, and so forth. But that group stayed along for uh, quite a while, and it had a gap that was not necessarily the largest. So I was thinking, okay, Peloton's keeping this at two, three minutes. What is going to happen? Because these last two hills are steep, so a lot of time can be taken back on those final hills. And it went up a bit towards the middle of the stage, then over the Monte Urano towards that Capo d'Arco climb, where we expected the race to start opening up a bit. That is with about roughly 30k to go, that Capo d'Arco climb, already with steep percentages, like you mentioned. And that's where we already started seeing Arkia making moves in the breakaway. The gap was then 2 minutes 16 or so at the start of that climb. Very steep section. And that's where Rousseau started launching uh, Bargill. And there was one man that could follow, right? Benjamin Thomas. But it didn't last that long, right? That two-man move? 
they sort of didn't relay properly together. I think if you're Warren Bunke, why would you work with Tomar on the climb? You know this finishes uphill with steep gradients. You basically just want to tire him out. Tomar's a tank on the flat and shallow gradients. So it's not really a big incentive for Bunke, who I think knew he was the best uphill in this finish to attack really early. And it gets into a bit of a circuit I think in the finish they might do one, uh, one and a half circuits. And yeah, Murasa actually on the last sort of steep extended climb started pacing really hard. No attack, just a steady, steady pacing in a group with Oliveira. Uh, who else was in there? They, they pre, he pretty much dropped everyone in the break except Simone Velasco, uh, Tomar and Bargui. And we saw Tamar losing the wheel a little bit, a little bit sliding through the corners. We saw Warren Bogey moving up, overlapping his back wheel, eventually hitting it, going clear. And we knew a rider of this quality who's looking good, who actually hasn't won. Uh, his last World Tour race win was in 2017, nearly five years ago. He has won French national champs and Tour de Limousin. Uh, last year but he looks in fine form again and from a breakaway uphill finish no one's bringing him back Bargui won easily in the end 10 seconds over Murasa who probably I don't know I don't know what his plan was he kind of led Bargui I don't have a rationale for that Velasco was good for Astana Tomar cracked completely but yeah so that's great to see Arkea win uh, in Terreno Adriatico and Total win in Paris-Nice. So that's the French Pro Conti header. But the big news of the day, in the peloton behind, we have eight Ks to go. They finished this short uh, climb, the Firma Madonna Dete, I think, and little punchy climb. Remco attacks over the top of it. He's got Pagatra in the wheel and Jonas there. They've gapped and Hart. And, I mean, what was the rationale for that attack, Benji? Like, is it too late at that point? He's going straight into a descent with those two who are just going to keep his wheel. I don't think it's a very effective attack at that point in the race. And I wasn't expecting it to go anywhere, really. Did you? No. Like, he's not. He's just not going to drop those guys off the wheel. On And we're so close to the finish here. I think uh, particularly how punchy those two are. We're coming up to the last climb. Yeah. We're coming up a quick descent right-hand turn into about 6Ks to go for the break, so maybe it's a little bit more for the peloton. Remco's leading the group. He's taken over from Jonas, who had paced on the descent a little bit, and Remco, we didn't see it initially. They had to show the replay, overshoots this right-hand turn into the climb, and he has Pagacha and Jonas on his wheel going into it, and these guys are so used to following each other, they have to lock up their brakes, turn around and go back. And so questions immediately, was it not signposted? What's going on? How has this happened? Remco leading into the corner, has he freaked out again? What What did you think had happened? Like, What do you make of this whole shambles? Well, initially I was panicking because when the gap was two minutes, I had put a bet on Pogacar and he was in the wheel of Remco going the wrong way, which is not <laughs> a great sight to see. But 
when it comes to my opinion on what happened, we saw that the um like there's this little line attached to like two light poles at the side of the road to like say, oh, don't go here. But it was so high up that the riders can't see that if they're looking at in front of them on the road. It was properly high, like human head height, basically. <laughs> and it's the height where you can literally ride under with your bicycle. And yeah. therefore, I think it was hard to see that. The person that was there, the signal person, wasn't also uh, showing it that well. But on the other hand, it looked like Remco was breaking the second he was already seeing the corner. And I feel like he reacted too late to knowing it was going to the right. I don't think he knew to the, that it was to the right the entire way, but I think he knew it before he came to the corner, but just panicked in the moment and continued straight because he was looking at the area that he needed to go in when passing that corner and he was breaking at that time. But it was very clear the second after for me that when it comes to turning back, the Vingegaard was just following Remco, Pogacar as well. They went the wrong way there as well. But they were much faster in turning around and being back on the correct road. So I think that's where you can see that Remco's panic technique isn't there compared to Pogacar and Vingegaard. Pogacar was like, no problem. Just straight back. It was crazy. They were straight back into the Gagan Hart group and didn't lose any time. Of course, we didn't get anything televised of the rest of this group for the rest of the stage, just about <laughs> unfortunately. But I've looked at it closely. I think he's either seen the corner late or he has just completely freaked out that he was carrying too much speed into the corner. I don't think he thought the whole time they were going straight. When you look at the camera angle from the motorbike yeah. rather than the helicopter, you can see his eyes as he's going through the corner looking up the road. And he was already taking a narrower line into it compared to Vingegaard and Pagacha, who are wider. You could see they were already turning in their bikes. Pagacha was likely not to crash into the back wheel of Jonas. And this reminds me a lot of what happened in uh, Tour of Denmark or the Posnor Denmark Rund 2021 Stage 3. You might not have seen it. He was in a break with uh, Sørenkra Andersen. They had a very similar turn. It was a right-hand turn and Remco just went straight. He, he was in front of Pedersen trying to follow SKA. He just went straight. He refused to tip the bike in. And... I think something similar has happened here. He thought, I'm carrying too much speed, and he's just panicked, locked up, and gone straight. And I don't know if that was the same in Lombardia crash or whatever, but he's lucky it was just a road uh, ahead of him, I guess, here. That's my take on it. Maybe it was he thought he was going straight, but I doubt it. And that's why I found the attack so curious, Benji. Because he was putting all this pressure on himself. I mean, did he even need to be leading into the descent going that fast? Well, I think if he wants to put enough time on Pogacar to defend on that mountain stage, he needs to try something from further than on the last uphill at this finish line, personally. And that's why I think they go that early and put pressure. I'm not sure the pressure on that descent, like you mentioned, is necessarily the the right thing to do, but... If you don't hold the gap to the people behind you, what was the point in making that move in the first place? And the question then is, was that the right moment to attack? Should he have gone earlier on the previous climb and not necessarily just before the top happened there? 
And that's an option, I'd argue, where you could say he could have done that to be able to rest up a bit more in the descent and not have to go so eager in that descent. But I don't mind that necessarily. I like when Remco goes early. But my question now to you is like, we've seen this quite a few times now. You're mentioning Denmark, which was more that overshooting the corner and not necessarily going the wrong way. We've seen Brussels Cycling Classic last year, where Remco was together with Amit again, Gilbert and Tosh van der Sande and so forth in a group. And Gilbert and Tosh van der Sande, I think, went the wrong way, while Remco and Amit again went the right way around like a, a roundabout or an intersection. I'm not 100% sure which side it was, uh, what, what kind of situation it was, but they needed to go to the left and the other guys went to the right for a bit. I think that's what happened, basically. And uh, in that race we had a situation where Remco benefits of some other people going the wrong way and therefore is able to try and ride Emmett again off his wheel in the final few kilometers. And after the race, there were a few different sides of the story necessarily where UCI will always take the side of, oh, in the rules it says that riders need to know the parkour, <laughs> which is the easy way out for UCI, of course. But when it comes to the riders, uh, Remco was mixed about it. He said, I I don't like winning like this, but I had to go through because I could win a victory like this. And then he also said, then I was somewhat surprised that they went the wrong way because we have briefings about the parkour and we also have the GPS computer that says it. So I personally wonder if he'll have the same opinion now that it happened to him. He eventually did get back on. We didn't see much or the rest of the peloton. I don't think he, um, which is really unfortunate. And it is a feature of, unfortunately the italian races they focus on the break like the guys coming in seventh way too long when we're trying to figure out what's happening behind pagaccia actually finished in a group of Vingegaard, mass evanapol hindley lander they dropped pino pozzo but gc largely unchanged except for gagan hart uh oh gagan hart lost time benji yep he did and it uh, was a serious amount as well I think it was like 33 seconds in total. So yeah. not a great day for a uh, Gagan Hardy. Well, less than 33. I was looking the wrong way. It's uh, 29 seconds. So not a great a ride for him today. And I'm actually impressed that Remco missed that corner. Then Ballerini dropped from the breakaway, helped him out into chasing that group back. And he came towards that group just when the climb started. And he was able to still finish in the group with Tade Pogacar at this finish. Perhaps Pogacar didn't go all out because he knew other people went the wrong way? Or do you think that he's not so happy-hearted? We'll never know. Never know. I think he, it's kind of the race is on. He's surely launching it. He's probably, but he probably was like, break is gone. I don't want to get any more time. I don't need to. I'm going to win on Carpeña anyway. Miguel Angel <laughs> Lopez lost time. And it's still looking like the Pagacha show. He hasn't put the race completely to bed yet. He's still only nine seconds ahead of Avonapol. Uh, and 43, Aronsman still there, by the way, time and Aronsman in third. He lost a bit of time today, but not a huge amount. Vingegaard in fourth now, 45. Lopez loses time, but still moves up. In, he's on a minute back. Uh, tomorrow we have the, I mean, I guess it's the Queen stage, but there's no mountaintop finish in this race. They 216Ks, two ascents of Monte Carpeña, 6.2 Ks at 9.6% with a descent in the middle between them and then they go and do it again and then a descent to the finish in Carpeña. A little, little uphill kick to the finish, I think about a 50, 75 metre elevation climb. Um, 
Pog or break? Uh, I think Pog. Come on, you'll want to win the mountain stage in the, in the Tire, you know. Come on, do it for us, UAE. You want to see a GC fight here and not necessarily a breakaway going for the victory here. Although, like... Will they want to control 170 kilometers of flat slash rolling hills? That is where the question lies. But there's a lot of riders that might be willing to give it a try for their stage, even if they're not UAE. It might not be the most clever idea, but what are you going to do? Are you just not going to try win the mountain stage then in Tireno? I don't know. When it comes to Carpeña, I think it was meant to be ridden in Copia Bartali last year. That one-week race roughly in, was it March or something? And... It did not write Carpeña because of weather and so forth. So I'm happy that we've got it on the profile now and don't have weather issues there. It's a very selective climb. So I expect stuff to happen there. And not only like we're talking about the Monte Carpeña being the climb there, but the first time we go over it, like it starts climbing already a good five kilometers before we get to that start of the climb. And that's where I'm like, okay, that's an extra five kilometers that are not really categorized as climbing, but they're they're significantly climbing, I dare to say. Yeah. I am curious if that final descent will influence something. For example, if somebody is able to ride away on a climb, will they be able to catch up with said rider and so forth? I'm going to go with the, uh, yeah. Like, Bogatra is likely going to win this, but who is going to get second if it's a GC battle? And I think I'm going to point at Vingegaard there. Payo Bilbao wins this stage, descent. <laughs> Yeah, I think he. Good point. I think he might win this stage. He's climbing well in Valenciana. He's my outsider. Make sure we get money on before we put the pot up, Benji. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Pog has to be the favourite. I'd be surprised if I saw anything else in the markets. So hopefully it's explosive. Hey, I'd love for Remco and Jonas to take it to Pogaccia. Wouldn't that be a show? It'd be great to see that. Uh, but we'll hold our breath. Maybe Pogaccia doesn't want to risk everything on the descent finish. Who knows? Uh, but I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Let us know what you thought of the Remco Corner mishap. We'll be back with the Mountain Doubleheader tomorrow. Big day, Super Saturday of Pro Cycling. Thanks to Swift, as always, our title sponsor. We'll be heading on to the Tour of Utopia Stage 3 now. We'll see you tomorrow. Ciao.